This is the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Ever wish you could re-listen to your favorite interview or segment? Do you enjoy hearing older shows for the first time in years? Then the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less is just what you need. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. I am your host, John Solberg. And today I get to take you back in time to December 29th, 2010. Chris Marks of Three Little Pigs was in the house. Chris is an eight-time American Royal Grand Championship winner. Rub maker. Lots going on there with him. We're going to get to Chris in just a minute. But first, let's hear from Randy Owen, the owner of Thermalworks, a company near and dear to most of our hearts. We will uh, go ahead and race over to the phone now. Joining me now is the founder and president of a company that I've been looking to uh, get on the show for quite some time now. So we'll race over to the hotline, pull up. Founder and owner of Thermoworks, Randy Owen, joining us here on the show. Randy, how are you tonight, buddy? Great, Greg. How are you? I'm doing outstanding, Randy. I apologize for last week. Glad we could hook up and uh, finally do this thing. So... Uh, you know, as we uh, before we get into the particular issue that we wanted to talk about tonight, that being obviously the thermopen. How about a little info on Randy Owen? How you got into this whole thermometry, and when you decided to put ThermoWorks in business? Well, oh boy, uh, I've been in thermometry since college. I worked for a few other companies that were in higher precision thermometers uh, of the sort used by national labs. So my background really is thermometers that are accurate to four or five places past the decimal point. Uh, some 14 years ago, I hooked up with a company in England called Electronic Temperature Instruments Limited, and uh, they were making handheld thermocouple thermometers and uh, had just at that time uh, come out with the first version of the thermopen. We worked with them over the next few years to make a faster, uh, smaller tip version of that product which uh, uh, was the, the, uh, the, the earlier version of the current thermopen. How do you make it faster, Randy? If it's like pretty fast already, how do you increase speed like that? Well, thermocouple uh, is already uh, a faster sensor than, than what you find in most of the low-cost uh, Chinese-made pocket thermometers. They use something called a thermistor, which is a little uh, bead of carbon, makes a little resistor. It changes resistance with temperature. Uh, it's, it's a small little bead uh, coated in glass and epoxy. And a thermocouple, on the other hand, is two very fine-gauge bare wires of two different metals. They're welded into a tiny bead, which is physically much smaller than a thermistor, which contributes to, to a better speed. And then, of course, uh, uh, we put it in uh, the smallest diameter stainless steel tube that we can that makes a needle point that at the same time will be survivable in daily use. We can make them even faster with a finer gauge needle, uh, but, but you need something that's going to stand up to daily rigors of punching in and out of a piece of meat. So as we, uh, so, I'm sorry, go ahead, Randy. So, so the thermocouple uh, uh, is important to making a fast probe. Uh, then there are a few other secrets in how it's mounted in the tube that will make it faster. Uh, 
And the thermocouple circuit, of course, is a more complicated circuit than the thermistor type, but they've been used for uh, several decades now in professional handheld thermometry. The thermopen is equivalent, really, to, to something you would find selling for 150 to $300. If you walk into your, your neighborhood fast food hamburger joint and go behind the counter, you'll find a handheld thermocouple meter that probably costs them about $200. Is this something that that a McDonald's or you know some other uh, restaurant that needs to take temperature for code would be able to use versus whatever they're paying the higher amount for? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, nearly half of the thermopens manufactured and sold around the world are used in professional food service locations and uh, to a lesser extent in food processing plants, chicken sausage plants, and so forth. Randy, uh, so the thermopen is it, half of, half the units we make are used professionally. Randy Owen, founder and president of ThermoWorks, joining us here on the show. So, Randy, as we talk about the ThermoPen, why don't you give us some uh, facts about the uh, the splash-proof, super-fast ThermoPen and, and why we would be interested in at least looking at it uh, to add to the arsenal? Speed's the number one thing. Um, it, it will come to within one degree of the final temperature in only two to three seconds. Uh, in the in the current splash-proof thermopen, you can now see tenths of a degree. Those will continue to change and zero in over the next second or two, uh, but it's faster than anything out there. That that makes it easier for you to tell the, the current state of whatever piece of meat you're cooking. Uh, uh, the center of the meat will be the coolest place normally, but by pushing the thermopen in slowly, going past the center, and then drawing it back out, you can watch the temperature change real-time on the thermopen display, and that'll tell you quite a bit of information about the doneness level of the meat throughout the entire piece, whether it's a rib roast, a brisket, or uh, a New York steak on the grill. And then, of course, this is something that isn't actually manufactured like probably 90% of the stuff in our country uh, in China. This is, this is not a China-made product. No, these are made in England. Uh, they're they're hand-manufactured. Each one is individually assembled. They are individually tested and calibrated against reference thermometers, and uh, each each thermopen comes with a test certificate giving actual test data at two temperatures, 32 and 212. Did you ever think that there would be kind of this... Overall popularity in the competition barbecue scene, and perhaps just in the the competition subculture itself, it seems Thermopen resonates with everybody as really being one of those products. And I do it myself when people ask me, "Look, I'm looking to get into barbecue. What do I need to have?" We go over the cookers, we go over getting a food saver, and then inevitably I end with, you know, you got to get a Thermopen as well. Did you expect this kind of a, an outpouring of support for the product and use? Uh, you know, no. Originally, we we didn't anticipate such a large demand in home and professional barbecue circles. Uh, the original market was for food service and restaurants, um, but uh, uh, you know, in competition barbecue circles, you know, that's that's about as professional as you can get. A lot of money rides on the outcome. Um, a lot of money is invested, and at the end of the day, uh, the biggest factor is the finished temperature of the meat you're cooking or smoking or, or grilling. Randy Owen joining us here on the show. So, Randy, when I tell people about the Thermopen and then I tell them how much it is, there's kind of that initial sticker shock. So somebody that's been around it all their life, I mean, this is what you do day in and day out. 
Uh, what do you tell people to help them kind of overcome that initial gasp of, oh my gosh, $90 or $92 uh, and settle them down and, and go ahead and have them purchase? Well, it is an investment, um, and, and it is quite a bit more than the $20 imported Chinese thermometers. Uh, typically, though, it will last uh, longer than three or four of the imported thermometers, and the thermopen can be repaired. Uh, if you have an accident, even if you burn and melt up the entire case, frequently we can salvage the, the guts of the thermopen. Uh, we can replace probes when broken. So it is an investment that isn't necessarily lost uh, if you have an accident. Um, but again, speed is everything. And you wouldn't think maybe what's the difference between three seconds and 20 seconds. It's a ton of difference, which is why you know, we didn't push this into the barbecue uh, circuit. It, it uh, was adopted by people. That's why. I mean, uh, you're probably better asking uh, uh, people at a uh, Barbecue uh, competition. Why? Why do they all have thermopens? To put in your request for a future show, please contact John Solberg via email at john j o n at the bbqcentralshow dot com. Chris Marks joining us here on the show. Chris, how are you, buddy? Hey, doing great. Doing great. Chris, appreciate you taking time out to talk to me tonight about barbecue in general. So, Chris, for the people that might not have a background on you, why don't you go ahead and tell us kind of how you got started just in in barbecue in general and then when you decided to step up and start actually competing. Well, actually, barbecue in general was uh, started by my dad back in the late uh, 80s, and uh, he was a senior VP at Hallmark, and when he retired, my mom basically said, find him something to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, basically started from there. Um, one of the original KCBS guys, uh, they started doing contests in Raytown, Missouri. And uh, from there, we started one or two contests a year as the Three Little Pigs. And then from there, it just escalated on and on and on. And uh, eventually, we're up to a 35-foot RV traveling the country doing barbecue contests. So when you look back on the days, Chris, what did you start out with? Were you on something that was a little bit bigger than you needed, or were you just using some bare-bones stuff when you were competing? Oh, man, when we started, it was just the bare-bones stuff. It was the cheap smoker. We call them the, the, the COSs, the cheap old smoke, smokers that you buy at the big box. And uh, we, we pretty much developed everything on the cheap old smokers. And then we migrated up into a... Uh, our first original smoker was an Oklahoma Joe, mm-hmm. and then from there we moved into the Goodwin Smoker line. We're going to get into the Goodwin Smoker here uh, certainly in just a little bit, uh, given that's uh, some of your business dealings. But you know, as you've seen competition barbecue evolve over the years, Chris, what do you think some of the what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen from when you got into it to where it's evolved to today? Well, basically, the biggest change is, of course the money. Uh, ever since they keep dropping in more and more cash, it, it has a tendency to drive it into a different level, into a different type of people, really into the competition. Do you think it's good or bad for the sport? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say for me because, you know, I, I'm, I'm really so tied into it, but I think I think it, with the bigger contest, it's taken into a much different um, 
when, when Gary Gary Wells really put this together, I don't think he meant it to be like a big NASCAR type event. Uh, but it's actually gone there to where you have big sponsors, you have big contests, and uh, pretty much a lot of them you pushed out that small hobbyist. Is there a place where you could build, you know, more of a, I guess what what a Gary Wells and a Carolyn Wells had envisioned, you know, twenty five plus years ago when they put KCBS together to allow the people that might be getting eked out, uh, kind of a, a place to go, or, or do you still think? that regardless of, of how big it has gotten, you still have the ability to pay that entry fee, make your way to wherever that contest is going to be, and take part over the weekend with some of the best cooks out there in the country. Absolutely. I, I think what, what I think is anybody could win at any time. Uh, I've seen guys come in, you know, that have gone to my classes and, you know, gone to one or two classes coming in and win a contest. And, again, it's just a method and technique and uh, understanding what they need to turn in and and timing and just making everything look really, really good. Chris, you're an eight-time grand champ at the American Royal Barbecue, well-known, especially for people that follow competition barbecue, one of the biggest events during the course of the year. For you personally, how do you compare this event to any of the other ones that you'll take place in during the course of a year? Uh, when, when you look at the American Royal, we, we've always looked at it like the Super Bowl of barbecue because there's no limitations on who can show up and who can be there. You're cooking, you're cooking against all the champions. Uh, this is the invitational, of course, of all the champions across the world. You know, you just, you, you're not limited. Uh, you come in there and it's a big shootout. Whereas the, uh, open, you have, you have about 600 teams there, including usually the other 150 that are in the invitational. And a lot of times you don't see the guys who win the Invitational win the Open because it is such a crapshoot with 600 teams there. You've just got to be super consistent. Is it more consistent or is it more luck in the Open? Well, we won the, we won the Open back-to-back. Um, and, you know, it, it really comes down to we cook very, very consistent. And uh, one of the opens, we didn't even have a ribbon, and but we were a consistent score across seventeen. Uh, but again, you've always got to play luck into every contest. Every contest is going to have some kind of luck into it. You've got to end up on the right table. You've got to have six good judges that like your stuff. You know, one of the conversations that I like to get into, especially for folks that have either taken part in the American Royal or, in your case, who have actually won it. There's obviously another very big barbecue competition that takes place just a mere uh, two, three weeks after the American Royal, and that's the Jack Daniels uh, World Championship Barbecue. Uh, how do you feel about the Jack? Do you think that the American Royal has more credential behind it to say that you know if you win that one, you're the best cook that year? Or is there something to this whole mystique of, of the Jack and the drawing process? And you know, Granted, it's not a sanctioned contest, for a particular sanctioning body, it's independent. Um, where do you weigh out on the whole Jack talk? Well, we've been to the Jack, actually been invited 10 times, and we've been seven. Um, what, what I say about the Jack is the limitation of the teams you cook against. Um, you know, where's the American Royal? Everything's open to every champion who comes in. And you take a look at Jack Daniels, and, you know, it's... When, when I'm cooking, 
I'm looking at the two different contests. I'm always going to go to the American Royal because it's got a lot more, as we feel, up in our area, a lot more prestige to it. And it's just, just a lot harder. It's, it's The American Royal is the toughest contest to cook in, and everybody pretty much knows it. And the Jack Daniels pretty much limits you to 50 teams uh, across the states. Do you cook in all the sanctioning bodies, Chris, or do you just particularly stay with uh, KCBS style? Uh, I've, I've cooked in uh, the, I've cooked Memphis in May. Loved it. Great, great contest in Memphis in May. I've cooked KCBS and I cooked Lone Star. Or do you, I mean, do you have a favorite? Uh, KCBS. Kind of tell us what some of the hot selling points are, or why someone would want to consider a good one smoker as they're reviewing what's for sale out there in the market. Absolutely. Uh, well, the first thing, it's not pretty. Uh, the good one smoker is not pretty, and what it is is basically a barn-shaped type smoker, and it is a total charcoal smoker, and it is a reverse offset, which means that our smoker box ties right back into the charcoal box, which means I have complete lateral temperature back and forth across the whole smoker, which basically gives us no hot spots, gives us complete consistent cooking across the whole smoker. And it also allows us to build long cook times in. We can usually get about four to six hours on an open range, which is a small entry-level smoker, on just 10 pounds of charcoal. So we are an engineered smoker, whereas a lot of the other tube smokers are gas pipeline. We're an actually press-broke smoker. We spend the time to engineer out correctly. So who came up with the, the idea for the Good One Smoker originally? Is it something that you are you know, sharing in partnership with somebody? Did somebody that you know come up with the concept? Where does it kind of get born Absolutely. at? Absolutely. The smoker was invented by Ron Goodwin out of Burns, Kansas in 1988. And uh, in 2006, uh, Joseph Rately bought the smoker line and the distribution lines from uh, Ron Ron's son, uh, Larry, still builds the smokers in Goodwin down in Burns, Kansas. You've been around a lot of smokers. Uh, You've seen a lot, whether you've owned them or not, or whether you've used them or not in competitions. But as far as for somebody in the backyard or for somebody that's actually out there doing it weekend in, weekend out on the competition scene... What do you like personally, you know, separate the business side out if you could possibly can, but, I mean, what do you like personally about the Good One Smoker, and, and why do you think it's a, a good way to go? Well, basically, I like it because I can set it and forget it. Uh, I cook on, primary when I do competitions, I cook on a chuck wagon trailer, which is a rodeo smoker, the big smoker, and I'm able to place the meat like I like them. I can place a complete competition run of meat on the smoker and pretty much set it and forget it and let it go. Um, and that's so important when you're in a smoker because the longer you can set and let that meat relax, the better. So I don't have to play with my smokers a lot. And that's so important when you're really trying to get a great competition. Chris, how many different models are there to choose from on the good one smoker? We basically have a, a five patio models that are, uh, a, you're able to choose from the, the entry levels are pony express. It's a, it's a small smoker. 24-inch back offset. Uh, Then we move into the open range, which is a 30-inch. A lot of the competition guys use what we call the Marshall, which is a a 36 by 24, and it has four trays in it. And then, of course, the larger models, the Rodeo, 
which is more of a commercial type model, but a lot of the competition guys use it too because it has the four trays. Chris, are there any accessories that you would recommend somebody to get when they're buying the good one smoker? Or is this just something you buy the smoker and, you know, obviously the fuel and you're kind of off and running? Okay. Pretty much it's the fuel you're off and running. You basically, uh, uh, if you buy a good one smoker, you pull it off ready to smoke. There's no building it. There's no, you know, you don't have to do anything to it. You can just basically pull it off the pallet and cook on it. And there you have it from December 29, 2010, Chris Marks, three little pigs, and Randy Owen of Thermoworks. Do me a favor, head on over to the bbqcentralshow.com, subscribe to the Barbecue Central Show via podcast. There is a subscribe tab there to help you out with that. You will never miss an episode of the Barbecue Central Show or the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less again. Got an idea for a show? Hit me up at John, J-O-N, at the bbqcentralshow.com. I am your host, John Solberg. I thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.